and welcome to another episode of Football Unfocused. Uh, two weeks in a row. Fucking prolific. Yeah. Uh, this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Yeah. It is kind of, yeah. It's about eight mm. days between the yeah. two. When yeah. did you want to release Nine. this? Sorry, I should have actually asked you that before. Uh, well, yeah, let's have that discussion on the podcast. Yeah, I think you should release it straight away, Matthew. Because straight we're going away, to be talking okay. about topical issues that can't wait until after the weekend, and they're not, you know, but but they will seem stale and out of date uh, by the time um, by the time the next weekend's uh, Premier League action has taken place. Uh, but anyway, for the uninitiated, this is a weekly or, or semi-weekly uh, podcast produced by two men, Mark and Matthew. I am Mark. The other guy is Matthew. Say hello, Matthew. Hello. He didn't say hello, Matthew. <laughs> um, and we knock this shit out once in a while. Um, uh, you may notice that I am I tend to be the guy who's possibly a little bit more interested in football. Matthew, uh, less so. Fair, Matthew? Yeah, if anything, a bit generous. <laughs> Yeah. Do you ever ask yourself seriously, like, why are you co-presenting a football podcast? Because I think you actually genuinely, you are genuinely <laughs> completely disinterested in it as a subject. <laughs> uh, I, it was the only subject that you were willing to do a podcast on. I you think. didn't give me any other options. What about true no. crime? Every fucker does a true crime podcast. Do, do you want to do a true true crime podcast? Pick a crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the trouble is, I think you have to have a specialism, don't you? I'd want, I'd want um, the crime flashing. to be flashing. Yeah, do you know what I was going to... God, that's sad. Oh, man. So that... It has to be a flashing podcast, yeah. Famous flashes through the ages, yeah. Oh, God, man. that's sad that our brains are working in the same way. Uh, right, let's crack on, Matthew. Uh, so I, I asked Matthew some questions because of his lack of engagement on the football content. I ask him some questions every week to open him up to the world, to sort of pull his pants down, really, in front of a a, a full school assembly of expectant uh, faces um, against his will. He doesn't like me doing this, but it's the only way, really, I can get something out of him. Um, because as we've alluded to in the football, you know, on the football stuff, it's just not going to happen. Uh, Matthew, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical question, and I'm going to have to... Um, give full credit for the contents of this to uh, uh, the great trailblazing uh, comedian and, and and one of the original podcast hosts, uh, Richard Herring. Um, Matthew, if you had to choose, you had to choose between being uh, a, a penis, so you are, your full body is a penis, you've got little arms and legs so you can move around, but you are a penis, you're your face is just at the top on the side of the penis, but you are just essentially one large penis as a person. Or being completely as you are now, but where your penis should be is just a little man. Which one of those <laughs> are, you going to, are you going to are you going to choose? Right. Is would I look like me if I was the, the for the first option? You could, you could maybe you could maybe say that the, the the face has some resemblance to how you currently look, but it would be on the side of a penis. Yeah. So you have no there, your face would have no there would be no deviation. It would just be like a cartoon drawing yeah, yeah, yeah. on the side because the the structure and shape of the penis, the the giant mm. penis, would wouldn't deviate. And would it be like a quite a hairy hairy penis? 
<laughs> that's up to your imagination. Well, you just because I mean, it what was... What would you... What's going to... What's Which one of those it is going to Well, if it was you? a very hairy or scraggly looking, mm. that would... Well, no, let's just say it's just a, a penis clean, that is, a clean that is an average, an average, mm. <laughs> an average, yeah. averagely clean shaft, run-in-a-mill penis no. that is exactly the same sort of height and dimensions as you currently are, um, but it just completely takes over your body, so you are it. Yeah, I think yeah, the average shaft I would say is a bit scraggly. So I yeah. think I think just to have a life where I could mostly get around. And not be harangued, probably, probably the, the the second option to have a little man. And is the little man does it to engage with? The, yeah. The, right. What's the yeah, per, comp- what's the little conscious. man like? Well, I mean, that's, I'd imagine he won't be particularly happy because he's living his life, <laughs> in my your body in your pants, being yeah, used yeah. to all intents and purposes as a penis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose if he was a a particularly annoying little man and. Mm. Like my, if it was like well, my you'd, dog, <laughs> you'd have to use him for all your penis needs, wouldn't you? Because he is essentially your penis. He's yeah, yeah. a little man that happens to be your penis, so you'd use them for, uh, you know, sex. <laughs> yeah, sex. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Sexual relations, or, or urination. Yeah, you know, you'd yeah. have to wash him thoroughly, assuming you wash your penis. <laughs> um, yeah, I can see the advantages of not having that situation <laughs> but, but i think I just the advantages i can see the advantages of not having a little man as a penis yeah, yeah but yeah. but i think just the on balance i think just getting around and having a life where i'm not do you think you'd get a hard time if you were just walking down the street and you were just a, a sort of six foot penis yeah i think I, d- I was seeing the other day not not probably last week there was a there was a lady who was quite well known when i was at uni um she worked in the local bank i think and um she she had a, f- a full beard and <laughs> wonder what world was going to come out of your mouth and um yeah I did, I, that must have been hard that must have been hard because because uh, she was well how full a beard are we talking like a brian blessed beard yeah, yeah, it was a very full beard. Right, it was like prop, so proper. Yeah, so she yeah, yeah. she embraced it because you don't end up with a beard like that unless you really. Because once you get in a bit of a wispy beard, you can do something about that. You can get rid of it. But she's obviously chosen. No, I'm going to own this. Uh, I don't know. This was twenty odd years ago, so I don't know how much he could have done. What difference does that make? What they didn't erase te- twenty years ago. The erase. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Gillette didn't form as a company yeah, until 2009. Maybe, yeah, maybe she was just like, I don't know. Yeah, I suppose she could have. There's probably. Did she walk around kind of looking sheepish with her head down, or did she really look like she she strutted and said, "I yeah, I'm the bearded lady." You know, yeah, what you, got? Maybe, what you gonna maybe, do about it? Maybe more. Yeah, more more that. Yeah, possibly a bit more. So yeah, she might. You might have been just perfectly happy, and what's that got to do with you being a six foot penis? Just because I just think of, I just think I wouldn't have liked that. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, <laughs> you being a six foot penis. Where did you say this woman worked in the bank? Yeah, yeah. You being a six foot penis walking into the bank to say, you know, open up a new current account, <laughs> it's going to turn more heads than a woman working behind the counter in that bank having a bit of a hairy bug. Well, that's it. Absolutely, it'll be even tougher. Mm. So, yeah. So it's the it's the kind of being stared at that puts you off being 
a full, you know, a, a six oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Rather than the actual impact on your life. Yeah, yeah. It's like being famous. Poor buggers. That's what well, I. Do you not want to be famous? <laughs> don't think so. No, I don't think so. I'm going to delve wanna... into that. In few... No, you... well, I'm going to delve into that. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, for for a second there, Matthew, I was nearly infamous. And I don't want to be infamous. <laughs> I want to be famous. <laughs> second question, Matthew: Blur or Oasis? Mm, at the time, it was Oasis, but now mm. I think it's Blur. Yeah, I think it actually maybe it's the, the right answer. The the um, I can't remember the the album with song two on it and yeah, and, um, it's, called, it's called Blur. That was the game changer, wasn't it? That's when yeah, that was incredible. Direction. That was that was amazing. That album, mm. and I think at that point, Oasis are kind of. They'd had their heyday a little bit. I d- I can't actually remember. Absolutely, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. You you know yeah. this genre of music better than I do. But yeah. Well, not really. I would I would you just do. say first of all, it is a completely stupid and reductive question because it's not like a football team. We have to support one over the other. Like it's music. You're allowed to like them both, and that, yeah. that's kind of why I asked the question because it, it it's one of the most irritating things. But you know, and and I, like, I do like is. where Damien. It was his name, uh, Damon Albarn. Damien. Um, well done. You, I like. Go down I the, d- what was it you called, Matt Marius Kakido or something? <laughs> yeah. What was his car Sado last week? Yeah, I can't remember. Marius Kakido. Yeah. I like. <laughs> I like the way um, he's just done some sort of diff- really different, like gorillas, and he's just done some really different mm. stuff. And he's I also taken blood. The, the, the thing that for me means the blur are like vastly superior to Oasis is Oasis did an absolute banger of a, a debut album. One of the greatest albums you'll ever hear. It's absolutely brilliant. And then a, a very, very good follow-up and then a kind of overblown, o- overhyped cocaine feud in, fueled indulgent, you know, 12 minute tracks, third album. Is that on top of and giants? It, is that, no, no, that's the the shite that then continued to follow, and oh, I, I think right. they ended on quite a good one. I think it was called "Don't Believe the Truth," which was like their probably what the fifth or sixth album. But in between "Morning Glory" and that, there's just a load of shite. Yeah. Whereas yeah, I would yeah. argue that Blur have never made a bad album, and also that particularly from the album that you referenced, Blur. So once they'd done like "Part Life" and "The Great Escape," uh, it was. They've, they've really developed their sound yeah, and yeah, yeah. each time so they've shown that they've got like variety and that every album is kind of distinct from the from the other and their most recent album the ballad of darren is absolutely brilliant so yeah <laughs> but, but i'll go back to my original point like saying one or you know one like you have to pick one or the other when it comes to music is completely stupid you know if they, imagine if they said like mozart or beethoven choose you have to like hate the other one. It's, it's, it's childish, isn't it? It's pathetic. Yeah, yeah. Ronaldo or Messi, if, choose. They're both you, good footballers. It's a team game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Messi's you'd better, have, obviously. You'd have them both in your team, Messi and Ronaldo. Uh, I wouldn't have Ronaldo in any team, really, because he's, <laughs> he's a strutting, arrogant piece of shit. Um, but uh, Just an abhorrent human being. But as a footballer, I have to put that to one side and say as a footballer, uh, he's absolutely magnificent, yeah. But I still wouldn't want him in my team because I think... Uh, I support a club who tends to produce starting 11s that are about the collaborative effort rather than an obsession with one individual. And I think there's there's a profile of football club that suits uh, Ronaldo. And 
they tend to be the clubs that he has chosen to play for. Well, um, how would they play together? Are they similar? Ronaldo and Messi? Well, that's an interesting question, Matthew. We're on the verge of talking about football here. (laughs) (laughs) When they were younger, so Ronaldo, up until his early 30s, was much more kind of marauding and and because he, he had such sort of pace and power and he could attack from wide positions and just like these really dynamic breaks for the ball and, you know, skill in possession to beat a man and burst past them. And once, one of the things that makes him so successful and so great in football terms is because he recognised the point at which that had gone and he could no longer do that. So he then essentially redefined his game and became a penalty box poacher where he rarely actually moved for the penalty box. He barely runs, he doesn't do any tracking, that's why um, his second spell at Old Trafford was so uh, unsuccessful. I know he scored in that first season a lot of goals, but he had he had a really detrimental impact on the rest of the team because he they're not at a stage in their development where they can carry someone, and he expected to be carried. He'd, he'd always been playing for like the top dogs in every league. Obviously, the first time he was at Old Trafford, they were pretty much all in a roost. The odd bit of threat from uh, Arsenal and then Chelsea, um, Real Madrid. I mean, yeah, all right, they were up against a superior Barcelona team. But other than that, um, you know, the other 36 league games, they're, they're bossing it and most of the Champions League matches. And then Juventus, you know, he played for Juventus during a time when they were winning, what was it, six, seven, eight titles in a row. Um, whereas when you go back to a team that are, like, you know, in a state of disrepair and, um, and are far, far away from being the sort of elite team... Uh, in the country, you can't. You have to work. Every single player in that in that team has to work, and I think that's probably why it went wrong. But how you would have played with Messi is interesting because earlier in their career they were much more similar because obviously Messi's game is all about mm. you know that, that the quality of his touch. The thing with him, right, is he to me is the greatest passer of a football that's ever played football. So forget everything else. Forget his incredible dribbling. Forget his finishing, his absurd goal-scoring record, his free-kick taking, all that. His passing is unbelievable. He can find the most magnificent... His his judgment in terms of weight of pass, use of space, um, proximity of opponents and timing runs of... Uh, of his teammates and everything, I've I've never seen. I mean, there are some great passes in 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 football history, but his his range and accuracy of passing. Aside from that, that's the part of his game I don't think that gets enough credit. Gary Lineker always goes on about that because obviously he loves Messi and he always says, "Forget everything else, just his passing." So they actually probably would have complemented each other very well. Um, oh really? So they're not don't... too similar. Not, not overly They're not similar at all in, in that respect. You know, one's all about kind of, you know, power and athleticism and, um, you know, very, very good in the air, for example, Ronaldo. Like a lot of his attributes are quite similar to a kind of target man, um, especially later in his career, whereas Messi is all about sort of, you know, that low centre of gravity and technique, burst of pace, you know, quick one-twos, quick feet. Um so they, there is a chance they could have complimented each other, but I just don't think that somebody with Ronaldo's ego could ever have contemplated being in a team with someone who is more popular and mm. superior to mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but but the whole point of bringing that up wasn't to have the, the tiresome which one's better argument. 
uh, because that really is like number one on the football balls list. And also, I think particularly after Messi won the World Cup, it's just a dead argument now because the one thing that the Ronaldo lovers had against uh, Messi is now gone after he won the Copper America and then the World Cup. It's like, go on, what are you doing on him now? <laughs> Nothing, so fuck off. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was, it was just merely to demonstrate that trying to make these sort of reductive arguments about either or in things like music or, um, you know, in a team sport, who's the better player is, you know, it's a bit stupid, really, and it's kind of... That's like when people say, do you want ice cream or cream with something? And I, I say we'll both. If so, if they've got both to hand, I'll have both. Hmm. I'm going to argue it's absolutely nothing like that. <laughs> okay. I mean, well, you're asking ice cream just... and cr- <laughs> ice cream or cream. So, I'll say for example, you had like like a, 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 like a, a a pudding, right? And they say, okay, so say it's like a hot, like a I don't know, like a fucking sticky, sticky, yeah, spotty dick. Let's say talk about your spotty <laughs> dick again, right? You say, do you want cream or ice cream with that? Because that's a choice, one or the other. You're not. It's not asking you which one's better, is it? It's not. It's not oh, saying right. take yeah, your creative yeah. <laughs> well, which one's better. There, rank inf- them. Rank them now. Look <laughs> at their look at their goal scoring record or album yeah, yeah. sales and decide which one's better. This is about you. That's that's about your preference. Cream or ice cream that's a bizarre, debate. It's a bizarre comparison. <laughs> huh? well, cr- cream, cream or ice cream debate. Yeah, well, the old it's 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 as old as time. What, what side of that fence do you fall on? Out of interest, if I had to choose, mm. oh well, we're going back to the reductive oak. But yeah, yeah know, the ice cream, ice cream. Since we're on them, in that frame of mind, and yeah. what, what flavour ice cream? Um, ben and Jerry's. <laughs> That's not a flavour, is it? That's a brand. Um, vegan cookie dough of Ben and Jerry's. Well, so you'd put so that's quite in itself. A, so. <laughs> In the scenario that you is have this found, the third the question? Cream, the ice cream is an accompaniment, isn't it? Whereas something that's quite oh, in right. itself a distinct flavour is yeah, going to yeah, overpower yeah. the flavour of the main, yeah, okay. main event on that page. Okay, so I would be happy with just a vanilla if it was mm. with something. Yeah, vanilla and cream. And when you say cream, are you talking about sort of pouring cream? Yeah, pouring cream, whipped cream, that stuff in cans, the squirty synthetic stuff. No, no, not that anymore. So we're, what we're talking, pouring pour cream. Pouring cream, yeah, double cream maybe. Double, yeah, nice. That'd yeah, be quite that rich. Is good, that is good, that is good. <laughs> oh, Christmas, get that over some sort Oh, of I can't wait. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Matthew, let's talk about some football. Well, we actually already have unusually talked about some football. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about Mason Greenwood? Mm, no. I mean, Excellent. as in... No, um, I don't we, want to we, contribute. We're going to. Yeah, no, 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 yeah I'd yeah. like to know. Because the, stuff like this, right, so when, when, when like, a situation like this occurs, it, you know, it's clearly, it's not really about football, is it? So it's just quite interesting to know mm-hmm. what a, uh, shall we say, a football novice, which I'll generously call you, <laughs> um, what do you think about that from the kind of outside looking in? What, how, what's your kind of, what would be your take on the last few days and what's happened? Yeah, I think, he um he he probably i mean he 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 had to go and he was yeah i mean what he did sounded horrific i i didn't listen to i haven't listened to the audio of of him berating his partner at the time i just couldn't stomach it but i can imagine it would be horrific um 
But I do think Man U also need to take responsibility or or maybe just football, you know, elite football in itself, you know, because he was with them since he was six or seven or something. Yeah. And, yeah, just it's so toxic, that mix of famous, rich, young, athletic, you know, good looking, all that. I mean, it is just potent and... And you need institutions such as football clubs to really, you know, so I I guess I think of someone, so I lived in New Zealand, as you know, for a while, and and they obviously are obsessed with the All Blacks. But but for them, it's that there is is a set of values as as being part of um, becoming an All Black that is so intrinsic to who they are. Um, and I just don't think that... Do you think with that, if if a player, say a young player with lots of potential, deviates from that, severely deviates from that, no matter how good they are, would those values be so important to the regime and the culture over there that they would then completely dismiss that player? And I don't... Yeah. Um, I don't... I don't know what what Mason Greenwood did. I, yeah, I think he had to go. He had to go. There, there's no coming back. But but I guess what's so galling is the lack of um, contrition and mm. just because because he's been found innocent. So he is effectively saying he well, hasn't been found innocent. Well, yeah, there. That's it. Yeah, good point. That's good the point. key. Yeah, that and is the, so the trouble is the case got dropped. Yeah, there's important. a massive difference yeah, between ma- the but, but they're behaving. It feels like they're behaving, or there is a a strong suggestion that he is a, he is innocent. And um, yeah, well, it's pretty obvious that they. I don't, it doesn't really take a genius to work out that they, as an institution, have looked at this from a initially self preservation perspective, and then a what, and then after that, the way in which commercially they can. Um, reintroduce that player, regardless of the baggage that you have, into yeah, yeah. the into the institution to the benefit of the team, regardless of any of the negativity that kind of goes with it. And they clearly had quite. I mean, this wouldn't be happening now if it wasn't for the Athletic poking their nose in, essentially, because so they had initially, obviously, the charges were dropped in February. They left it kind of the remainder of last season, kind of this limbo situation where I think they they claimed then that they were themselves as a club going to conduct an investigation and see whether at the end of that they felt it was appropriate as an employee that he continues to be kind of associated with them as a as a business. And um, sort of time ticks along and I think there was an expectation that they were going to make an announcement in the early part of August to kind of get it done before the season starts and it's very clear that they had made the decision to um, uh, uh, bring him back and that they the only box that was kind of left unticked for them internally was to kind of consult this awful term stakeholders (laughs) by which they very unwisely I think um, uh, seem to put the women's team at the forefront of that. And then by making that kind of public knowledge that we almost like, right, right, lads, we kind of got to wait. We want to bring this this guy back. 
but we're going to wait and see what the women's team think of it because obviously they're women and, and a woman was the victim here. What that did is it it it, it, it disproportionately and hugely unfairly, outrageously unfairly, put the pressure on female players playing for Manchester United, um, even though the situation had absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah. And loads of them, because of the way social media works, and there's been a there's there's a real constituency of people on social media, and, and there has been pretty much throughout uh, this case, who are just like, you know, in the same way like with Donald Trump fans, defend at all costs, like he can do no wrong. They literally just, all they give a shit about is he's an incredibly talented young footballer and a great prospect and he'd had a great start to his career and they just want him back in the team. And anyone who suggests otherwise is, you know, like they'll just call the most like horrendous names and, you know, abuse them and tear them apart and pile on them and all that sort of stuff. So, um, to then expose those people to the women, to give the impression to those types of people that this kind of decision was going to rest with a women's team was outrageously unfair, particularly at a time when uh, a, f- a few of them were actually out in the World Cup, so they had kind of bigger fucking fish to fry. So, so to do that, that, was it a fo- was that formally was that a formal part of the process? Well, this is the thing. So the athletics, right? Sorry, go on. <laughs> what happened is somebody on the inside, one of these quote stakeholders, started tipping off Adam Crafton, who's the uh, um, correspondent. Um, for the athletic for that particular club and uh, he then started uh, briefing so he started doing interviews I've heard him on Five Live I've heard him on the news agents podcast where he was talking with real knowledge so he's clearly been getting like you know um, every scrap of information that's coming out so he was able it was really it ended up being really embarrassing for them because he was able to expose that they not only planned to kind of bring him back and also who was in favour of it, which included the manager, by the way. So the manager of, of uh, Eric Ten Hag was fully in favour of bringing back uh, somebody with that on his uh, on his record and that, that kind of piece of evidence that is out there forevermore. Um, but also the, the detail to which the club had gone to. So, for example, they had a plan by which they would control the narrative of his return through imagery in training. So the types of images they would allow to be taken of him and then distributed of him in the training ground. I'm assuming it would be pictures of him, for example, looking like really serious and like devoted and not like laughing and joking with his mates. They would use that to kind of manipulate the, uh, the sort of news story. And like, it's basically, it is propaganda, isn't it? Um, they had also um, identified a list of danger fixtures in the first uh, few months of his reintroduction that they might want to keep him away from. Grounds where he might face a, you know, a real hostile... I'd imagine Anfield was right at the top of that fucking list. <laughs> um, um, and, but also, and this is the thing that I think has damaged them the most, they produced a list of pundits and institutions that were either friendly... Um, uh, kind of in the middle or hostile. And on their hostile list was included a um, domestic violence charity. Oh, my God. <laughs> so they, that is not an institution that's t- making a decision on, <laughs> on morality. That is purely like cold commercial in the interests of the player. We want this player to come back. We don't want anyone else to have him. We're going to reintroduce him. And oh, this could get quite awkward if uh, domestic violence charities start kicking off about it. 
Um, so th- that left them then in a situation where, because that then kicked off, that's then to like protest from women supporters groups outside the ground. High-profile female supporters of the club, like Rachel, specifically Rachel Riley, have been very, very vociferous. I mean, she used to present for the TV station. She presents their end-of-season Player of the Year awards, like the internal club ones, loads of times. So she's, you know, like a fanatical fan. And she went as far as to say, if he plays for the club again, I want, I can't support them anymore. And I even noticed when I walked past the newspaper stand uh, today that she was on the front page of one of the tabloids, sort of, you know with that very story. And so therefore they've, they've obviously panicked. So this is all, you know, um, uh, sort of, you know, I mean, it's only really the horrific um, kind of Lucy Letby situation in this country over the last few days that has stopped the Mason Greenwood saga from sort of dominating everything. Um, And then, yeah, so then they've completely uh, gone back on all of their plans and binned him off. But, but even in bidding him off, they've managed to score an own goal. Because rather than saying, oh, yeah. yeah, we feel that, you know, yes, he may, this the criminal case may have collapsed, but our investigation has shown that there's there's evidence out there that the world has seen that is, you know, is he will forever be associated with and therefore taints us an institution and we don't want to be associated with that because we stand firm against domestic violence and all forms of violence against women. They've lost the opportunity to say that. So what they've done is they've put out this awful statement, which Rachel Riley um, uh, described as gaslighting, by saying, basically, we're, we're convinced he's done nothing wrong. You know, yes, he's made some mistakes, but he's not done anything wrong. Um, and he's, he, he, you know, he was rightly found innocent, which he wasn't. Um, but we also feel it would be better for him to continue his career elsewhere. And also, and by taking that line, by the way, they've lost, and, and by trying to bring him back and then, back on those plans, they've also lost the opportunity to um, terminate his contract because you can't con- terminate someone's contract for gross misconduct if you'd up until that point been going through months worth of planning which would have involved close uh, consultation with the player himself to bring him back. You can't just suddenly turn and go oh no actually this thing that we said was fine yesterday is now gross misconduct, you're fired. <laughs> so that does also mean that his I think it's 75 grand a week contract for the next two years they will have to pay him in full. Um if he doesn't get a move, but he probably will get a move because there's always someone, you know, it's a cynical world and you probably, you know, he, he probably will get a move. I mean, there are some questions that I, you know, I think this podcast isn't really qualified to go into about, you know, uh, the nature of punishment and, you know, whether people are entitled to then, you know, sort of have a second chance and be rehabilitated and learn from their mistakes, etc. And there are arguments of course there. And, you know, I'm not saying that, I mean, what he did is clearly horrific, but you know, if he's sort of nineteen odd years old when he does it, clearly that shouldn't that shouldn't ruin the rest of his life. Yeah. But you know, at the same time, should somebody who behaves like that be rewarded with that level of sort of fame and and financial remuneration and um, and sort of you know hero worship that you get when you're a player at that level? And you know, clearly they're not. But um, but it's yeah, it's been a terrible week for them as a club, and and obviously they lost to Tottenham as well, which. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure you love that. I'm sure you were watching. Um, I knew the result. Yeah, you knew the result. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw uh, the football. I was out um, in my local supermarket this afternoon. The footballer James Ward Prowse in uh, Waitrose queuing to. Uh, uh, it looked like he had a couple of items in his uh, in his he, hand, and then, and then waiting, 
West Ham. He's just joined West Ham. Yeah, very good, Matthew. Yeah, oh, he, well, he, yeah, he yeah. up a goal on his on his day. Well, it's obviously going to be West Ham's in the area, but yeah, he's an England international who is on the verge of beating David Beckham's Premier League uh, record for the number of goals from a direct free kick, and he set up a goal from a corner on his on his debut against Chelsea. Who I have to say, uh, despite losing three one to West Ham, were actually really quite unlucky and played played really well. Um, but it was a good weekend of Premier League football, Matthew. I'm, I'm sure Cascado you saw none of play. it. Marius Cascado, yeah, oh, he did. He came off the bench to make his debut and made uh, such a, an instant um, impact that he gave away uh, a penalty <laughs> that led to a three-one defeat. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to get um, sort of cocky and start lording it over him because it is literally one game. You know, it's, I'm sure he'll have a very successful time at uh, Chelsea. Who continue to spend money? They've now the players that we discussed last week. They've bought both of those uh, players, Casado uh, and Lavia. Um, so it's just extraordinary how they just keep spending and spending and spending like hundreds of millions. And I just I know that we've talked about the uh, amortization, um, you know, giving them ludicrously long contracts and how that means they can sort of balance the fudge the figures to a certain extent. But even taking that into account, it just it just it just feels incredible to me that they I mean that well also that they're they're owned by people who've just got that sort of money to just mm. just throw throw away because you know there's such a risk when you buy any footballer, you know, no matter how good your recruitment is, unless evidently you're Brighton and Herb Albion, where everything they touch turns to absolute gold and they just buy a player for a couple of million pounds from the South America some one of the South American second divisions. Uh, turn them into a global superstar within one season and then sell them for about 80, 90, 100 million pounds. But unless you're then, you know, football recruitment is not an exact science and there are probably more examples of transfer failures than there are massive transfer unequivocal successes um, in the history of football. So to give that amount of eight years, I suppose that's one of the reasons because I've had, you know, going back to Liverpool last weekend, you know, you have a bit of a... Uh, a chat, a catch up with your pals before the game, and you know we don't. Despite the, how Sky Sports would love to paint the idea that you know everyone gets together before a football match and all they're talking about is like the lineup and tactics and transfers and all that. <laughs> Most of the time, we're not. We're, you know, we're sitting around talking, you know, about anything but football, just talking about shit. Um, but it did actually come up last week about how uh, the, I suppose one of the reasons that nobody has followed this Chelsea model is because no other institution is mental enough to risk giving eight-year contracts to sort of, you know, 20-year-old players who have had sort of one and a half exceptional seasons at the beginning of their career. Because, because like I say, football history is littered with players who have sort of shone really brightly at that stage and then just completely fizzled out. Um, yeah, so... That's that is that is the massive danger. If it, if it, I mean, there was already a couple of them that they brought in January, and you're looking at them thinking, mm, not so sure, you know, yeah, okay, might turn out right, but you know, if not, they've every one of them will have the right to be, even if the club want to get rid of them, to have their contract paid out in full. So it's it is hugely risky in that respect, but you know, fair play, and they will start winning. This is the thing. I'm not just being sort of churlish and hateful towards them. I mean, they're worthy of discussion because their transfer strategy is so bizarre mm. and so kind of unique. Um, but I do think, based on the way they played against West Ham, uh, despite uh, 
the uh, defeat, I do think they probably will end up doing pretty well. Um, but already, uh, you know, Manchester City just look really quite sort of... <laughs> Andy. <laughs> well, just like they just, you know, they won uh, against, it wasn't actually a way they were at home to Newcastle um, the other night. They just looked like, yeah, they're just always going to have a, a little bit extra. But then Arsenal have also won two out of two. So I, I predict at this stage that it's probably going to go a very similar way to last season in terms of them being the top two. And then who else will be in the mix for them? Who knows? Maybe even my team, Liverpool. Who knows, Matthew? We did all right last week, big Bournemouth. Yeah. You know, yeah, great. <laughs> big one this weekend. We've got Newcastle, though. So, you know, it's games like that. We do, we have uncovered a gem, though. There's a boy, the Hungarian boy, Slobosly in midfield, who is very good. Very, very good. I don't normally go and, big on players when we first sign them, but he's, he's really good. And it's he, one of the most impressive home debuts. Go on. He's cheaper than Cascado. Yeah, you could probably get... Uh, three, yeah, probably about three slobber slides for one Crossado. So, or, or sorry, Marius, what is it you called him? Marius, Mar- I can't remember. I can never, yeah, I can't even. You can never remember your your errors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's best not to. Uh, just quickly before we finish, uh, I don't, I don't want to sort of reduce the Women's World Cup final to a, a, a quickly at the end of the theme, but I, I think because it was a few days ago now and it's kind of been discussed to death. But did you watch it? Yeah, yeah. And what what were your thoughts on it? Spain are unbelievably yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. And um it did it did sort of make me think that England probably on the whole weren't they they they're very good at getting good getting the right result, but mm. they didn't hugely impress. I mean their their semi final against Australia was That's probably, the best they played. Probably yeah, by far and away mm. the best they played. They're they're probably in the only decent game really. Straight um, through against Colombia. Were incredibly lucky to beat Nigeria on penalties. Yeah. They were they were not the better side and weren't even that good in the group. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, but Spain, yeah, probably deserved winners. De- definitely it, it is pretty cre- incredible on a human level that the the score of the winning goal in a World Cup final, unbeknown to her beforehand, had lost her dad two days before the match, and that information mm. was kept from her. So can you imagine coming off the pitch I, and being told that yeah. and scored the winning goal? It was interesting because, yeah, I was listening to the rest of his politics with Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart and, uh, mm. and Alistair Campbell mentioned that fact to Rory Stewart and he just, he found that unbelievable. He said, oh, yeah, he said he'd be so, livid, didn't he? Yeah. He'd be livid. He'd feel so betrayed. It's interesting. Well, yeah. Well, because, you know, I mean, to most people, the parents are pretty important, aren't they? And like, you know, you'd, you would feel, yeah, yeah. But, but I think... I mean, you know, obviously I don't know huge amounts about the deal, but I do know that this wasn't an unexpected passing. You know, he he had mm. been very ill. I mean, I think it was possibly one of those situations where it was only a matter of time. So, it, you know, I'm not saying for one second that makes it any easier, but what I mean is if he'd suddenly been ru- ru- run over by a car and it'd mm. been that sudden and dramatic, yeah, she yeah, probably yeah. would have been told. Yeah, yeah, But because yeah, he kind of, you know, slipped away, you know, yeah, that, that's yeah. probably that, – it's probably – she probably wasn't told due to the circumstances of the death rather than just prioritising the fucking World Cup final over. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, fair play to them. I do think that um, acknowledging Spain were vastly superior to England, they're, they're, England still did make some sort of quite big and basic tactical errors. And I even think the uh, Wiegmann, who's a, who's a manager who's pretty much 
almost beyond criticism because her reputation is sort of so outstanding and rightly so. But I, I thought she possibly overreacted by taking off two of the better players at half time. I think maybe just give them 10, 10, 15 minutes in the second half. And if you want to change the shape, maybe do it then. Um, and I think possibly that that was demonstrating that they panicked a little bit. Um, but then when they, when you think about the two players they brought on, it was, um, Lauren, uh, James Lauren, Lauren James. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. She's a brilliant footballer. And Chloe Kelly obviously scored a winning goal in the Euros. But I just don't think half-time was the right time to do it. You maybe wait till 60, 70 minutes. It's quite rare, really, for half-time substitutions that aren't injury-related. You've got to be having an absolute stinker. They took off two players who'd mm. had really good tournaments otherwise. And one of whom, you know, Rachel Daly was playing on the left. And she's, I think she's the top scorer in the WSL. So just her playing kind of left wing-back you could argue anyway, is, is, is kind of quite bizarre. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it does look like on the women's side, Spain, right, when you think about it, how dominant Barcelona are as a club team and how so many of the uh, Spain national team players come out of that Barcelona revolving door, it does suggest that they could actually now, we could be going into a period where they absolutely dominate um, women's football and that's a, yeah, the yeah, era yeah. of sort of USA is going to be um, superseded by Spain but then they said that in 2010 with the men because that came at a time when Barcelona were setting new levels of quality for um, for in the sort of club um, game and obviously then when Spain went and won Euros World Cup Euros all in a row and that we thought oh when you know this is going to carry on just indefinitely and then it sort of imploded really in in uh, uh, 2014 and, and hasn't really got anywhere close to sort of that level again in terms of the, the men's national team. So, yeah, nothing's ever certain in football. And it's the great thing about the fact that it's played, it's genuinely a global game, it means that there are literally hundreds of potential uh, threats to mm. anyone's uh, position of dominance. But I mean, they they were brilliant in the Euros, and they were probably a little unfortunate that they lost in the quarterfinals against England. Indeed, um, I believe I mentioned it last week. I, I specifically yeah. remember that, that 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 England were really lucky to beat Spain, and so yeah. I think Spain felt really hard. I remember their players on the pitch just utterly devastated after that uh, quarterfinal last year. Yeah, yeah. I think you could tell that they'd remembered that because yeah. they, you know, they were so. Fo- I know you'd be focused for a World Cup final anyway, but if you throw in the um, the desire for revenge. It's a powerful emotion in all humans, isn't it? I feel like that every time I see you, Matthew. I'm just full of vengeance. <laughs> yeah. you. But but just going back to your tactics, it was interesting. Um on the BBC they they switched, I think her name's Farrah Williams, it was and they sort yeah. of asked her about what she thought. England's record match. cap holder. Right, okay. And she was on pitch side and she just lambasted uh, the tactics and and yeah. what Serena Vig, it was really it was really like brute. She was like, you know, I think she's got it totally wrong. She got it totally wrong. Yeah, I think she it was potentially it was, get it wrong. It, it was interesting. And the other thing I was going to say was, um, when I don't know if you watched in the well, I mean, I, I assume you watched on the BBC. And yes, I did. Yeah. There was audio. There was a Spanish commentator. You could hear. Yeah, you could, for about the first twenty minutes, you could hear. Oh my in the god, it was so annoying. And, was like, yeah. and I switched I to um, I switched to the red button commentary in the end. The BBC Five. Could have switched over to ITV. No, not the end. Who the fuck does that? If you want, if you are, if you're one of those people out there, hello, yeah. announcement to the world, right? If you live in the UK and there's a football match, like it's always a major international final, and it's on the BBC and ITV, and you're one of those strange people. 
who chooses to watch it on ITV, then there's no help <laughs> you. This, this is not the podcast for you. I, I can't relate to you. Do you know what, right? Even if there's a situation where you genuinely, for some bizarre reason, thought that ITV had a better commentator or a better team of pundits, just the fact that, that you'll have three advert breaks in the 15-minute half-time yeah. spell, and, you know, even as the teams are coming out, like, you know, around the national anthem, they'll, they'll shoot on an advert. In. Like, it's, it's, it's beautiful watching... Uh, yeah, uh, sport live sport on the BBC because it, it's a, it's almost like a reminder of a world when not everything was about getting a fucking Ray Winston betting advert slammed <laughs> oh into your face every fifteen seconds. Oh but yeah, if you're yeah yeah um, yeah no I do yeah yeah we'll, we'll wrap up there. But yeah, I do I do actually think that it's possibly I'm trying to think of an equivalent on the men's side and actually you know Pep Guardiola who is without question the Sort of the greatest and most successful um, football men's football manager of the modern era, uh, two or three years in a row, when it despite dominating everything, when it when push came to the shove, made big tactical errors for Manchester City in the Champions League, not least in the twenty twenty one final against Chelsea, where I don't think he played a holding midfielder, and it was just bizarre and Chelsea scored their goal on the break Havertz goal it was a direct result of the uh, gaps that Guardiola's tactics had left and he did that there were a few times I think they got knocked out one year by Lyon and another time by um, Monaco I think it was where all of them you can kind of look back and see that he made it was almost like he overthought it when it really mattered and he stopped focusing on what had made him uh, so successful up to that point and I, I do think that there's an argument or, or certainly a theory that's worth listening to that maybe Vigman fell into that trap last week. Mm. But, you know, it's still good for the country that, you know, uh, the oh, team goes to the World Cup final. And I do think that it will lead to the continued growth of the women's game. But that, again, shouldn't be taken for granted because I think, again, we, we like to sort of, it's a bit like with the 2012 Olympics. We pat ourselves on the back when we mm. do these things or host these things and say, oh, this will lead to a great legacy. But, you know, you look at the stats that have come out in this country about uh, hours taking part in PE in the 11 years since the Olympics. They've, they've, it's gone down by like a third in your average uh, state school. And the Olympics were supposed to uh, lead to a legacy of sort of, you know, active outdoor thinking nation of sort of can do, you know, sporty kids. And, you know, instead they're just fucking sat, sat inside on their games consoles still sheltering from the rain while the Aussies are on the beach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, uh, yeah. So so the idea of women's football just going from strength to strength—it won't just happen because we assume it will happen. It needs, uh, you know, continued proper investment and yeah, clubs yeah, yeah. to, uh, you know. Uh, Karen Carney was very good on that subject on uh, Sky Sports after the match on Monday night. If anyone has Sky and uh, wants to sort of catch up with that, genuinely very very good. Anyway. Uh, on that uh, uncharacteristically serious point, it's time to say goodbye for another week. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week for another episode of Football Unfocused. Say goodbye, Matthew. Goodbye, Matthew. <laughs>